0: That's good. So real quick, I was going to talk, and we'll put this kind of PDF or JPEG or whatever, but you give a bunch of presentations. Uh, so if anybody's ever out there and has an opportunity to either bring uh, Andy in from Recon Response or has a chance to listen to him somewhere where he's speaking, definitely go and do that. You and I were talking one time, and you are showing some of, your, some of your slides, and we're trying to, between the two of us, figure out a way to – if we can capture all that information, which is an extreme amount of information when you're dealing with, you know, collapse specialists and things like this, but if there's a way that we can capture that potentially into, like, one big graphic, then people uh, not as smart uh, like myself with large amounts of, like, ADHD, and I've got to see, like, a shiny thing over here, and I'm gone, can capture them in one slide. And so we, we put together this type of thing, and we'll, we'll hang the JPEG up on, on Elements so people can kind of see what we're talking about. But we broke it down into something... It's kind of like, I guess, a cheat sheet that describes a lot of the stuff that we've, we've already talked about, but on the one graphic. And we broke it up into like almost a medical thing called structural pathophysiology. And kind of moving left to right across this thing, we have the anatomy, which is what you defined before is those are the pieces that, that people make buildings out of. So the anatomy is your wood, your heavy steel, light steel, concrete, precast, uh, URM, etc. And then the physiology is how those pieces are put together, how that building is constructed like the body. So that's where the Brannigan system and the ATC kind of fit in. Um, the next column over is the pathology, which is what you started off talking about, which is all the ways that a building can potentially collapse from an earthquake to high wind events, fires, floods, vehicle impact, explosions, um, construction accidents, etc. And then the last column, is the signs and symptoms, which is something like you mentioned as far as visually being able to see the collapse types, which is your lean-to, your V, your A-frame. We went into like a gable wall failure and roof blow-off and, and stuff like that also. So that might be a resource for some of the people that we're talking about that just need kind of that that cheat sheet as far as that goes. But if you were talking to people on you know, what, what would make sense as far as – how to approach that building, right? You talked about a six-sided approach. Uh, You talked about kind of a a widow maker. And if you could talk about that six-sided approach and when mitigation is needed, whether it's needed or not needed, a lot of teams are out there figuring, anything we go into, we got to shore. But in reality, shoring takes time. You're in there potentially to do a rescue. There may be instances where you are able to make entry and exit really quick. um, The shoring may not, actually be needed in some cases. But if you do shore, what are those principles? So I hit you like three questions. If you could talk about kind of your six-sided approach and re-evaluation, then talk about maybe a little bit with shoring and mitigation and monitoring and maybe into if you are shoring what you need to do.
1: Sure. Um, we, we can start with a with six-sided approach that, that you're, you're getting into. In the most basic terms, we would say that, okay, we're approaching a building question A, does the building look like it's about to collapse? But that's not always our biggest concern. The building doesn't have to collapse for something to kill you. Um, We use a a six-sided approach primarily because we're used to looking in four directions around us. We're we're used to looking forward, hopefully backward, left and right. We're not necessarily as used to thinking about, okay, what is above us? What's above my head right now? And what's below me if I'm on an elevated floor? I, I, I don't know. And that's where we start thinking in terms of, Okay, I need to be looking at all six sides and thinking about what's going on there. A big part of the work following 9-11 was removing Widowmakers, basically removing parts of, of damaged steel beams that were above the rescuers' heads. This took a huge amount of time, but it was absolutely necessary because no one really knew when these things would give way, and it was considered unwise for people to be working underneath them. Uh, when when these things were dangling right above their heads, so that that would be an example of that. If I can give a shout out to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, they produce something called the Field Operations Guide. So U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the Fog, the Fog Manual. You can buy this online, and it is an amazing book packed with awesome knowledge. It's only thirteen bucks if you go to RescueDirect.com. No, I don't own the website. I don't have any connection with it. It's just a good place to get it because you can get a really nice laminated version. But if you go to rescuedirect.com, you can get the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Field Operations Guide. In this guide, they have like six or seven different building types. They show you exactly which hazards are most commonly seen on collapse types for these different types of buildings. So it's a great resource and it's a great cheat sheet. You know, obviously you're not going to, have it in your your purse when you're walking down the street and a building collapses in front of you but for concerned citizens or for what do you keep in your purse guys, like, yeah. well that's a great question i always keep a change of underwear that's what yeah. my mom told me
0: sure that's a good um, toothbrush maybe lip gloss okay I, you and know what's I, funny? I, you should yeah. say that because I—if it's one thing I've said since day freaking one that I met you—and I've told this to Dom a million times. If I told it to him, you know, once is your lips always are glistening. Yeah, that's that's the lip balm. Okay, now I know. I didn't know. That's interesting. Good, good to know. I'm glad I asked that question. So that being said, uh, I've got to, I've got to bring, <laughs> I've got to bring up something about your Uber geekness. Um, if you were a Texas instrument calculator, which one would you be? Uh, I would have to be a TI-83 because I like the classics. Okay.
1: I kind of consider myself a little bit old school, you know, like an old soul.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, TI, TI-98, that's just too newfangled for me, and I'm not. I'm not having that.
0: I will say this. I do not know one model of a TI calculator, and I'm happy in my manhood on that. You know what? You don't hang out with me often enough. If you did, you you would have a favorite. And if I'm not mistaken, not too long ago on Instagram, you did post the fact that when you roll, you roll with two calculators. I
1: roll with two calculators.
0: Double two is fisting, one. Double one is fisting, yeah, double fisting calculators. Yeah. Okay. You know? Uh, yeah, sure. Like when 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 your
1: only job is to do basic algebra for the rescue team, like you better have at least two calculators. Like you have one job, at least bring two
0: examples of the tools to do that job. Now, do you wear wristwatch calculators too? I remember a lot of cool, <laughs> kids, cool kids used to do that. Um, I could no. see you with one. I could see you with one. I could see you with two. My fingers, my fingers are too fat, and I end up mashing two keys at once. Okay, I do that with my iPhone. So not
1: that's cool. that I tried. And that happened. I'm just sure. saying that would it, probably happen.
0: It could happen. Okay. Um, all right. Back to shoring here. Um, if we do ensure uh, do some shoring, what what are some good techniques that, that you advise on, on shoring uh, buildings? Well, the first
1: technique would be really to, to think long and hard about whether or not you even need shoring, okay. which you hinted at when you talked about earlier. I you didn't know I, if, I didn't if know your know guys you picked up on it. There, if you guys are going to be in there for minutes, even hours – you really might not need shoring. It, it might make more sense to just dive in there and, and get out of there as fast as you can. Um, that being said, you know teams. Some teams do have really quick to put up steel shores that can sometimes really be put up in a hurry. You know, we're, we're talking a matter of a minute or two minutes or something like that. It might be worthwhile. But if we're talking about putting up uh, multi-dimensional
0: wood shoring that's really going to take some time. Right. Like get into like raker shores and things like that.
1: Exactly. So you've, you've got something on your side that, that not a lot of people think about, um, in, in, in terms of rescue. And what is on your side is the fact that whatever caused that building to collapse, that was basically the worst thing that that building is ever going to see in its life. That was the worst thing. By the time you show up, that thing is most likely no longer there anymore. So whatever caused the building to collapse, that's no longer acting on the building. And if you think that the, the act of your weight now going inside the building is going to be anywhere near compared to w- what just made that thing collapse, you're fooling yourself. I'm going to read to you again.
0: Oh, and if gosh, you wanna I love take it. it
1: out, it's fine. You can take a nap if you want. But FEMA has a really good statement on it. They if, say, here's what they say.
0: If I could put my head on you your ready? bosom and you do this, that would be so neat. And then I could just go to sleep. But go ahead. No, I really want to hear it. I just threw ahead. up a little bit. <laughs> I, I just <laughs> you, threw up a little bit. Yeah, you mouth. threw up because you asked me to do that last week, but whatever. I thought that was an essay. <clears throat> go ahead. Here's it. what FEMA says.
1: In evaluating, if a specific structure is at rest, one could state on the positive side that the structure that was moving had enough resistance to stop moving and achieve at least temporary stability. However, the damaged structure is difficult to assess, weaker and more disorganized than the original. So what that's really saying to me is, hey, whatever, whatever happened to this building, that's done and gone. So in all likelihood, this building is going to remain standing while we're working inside of it. And this is true for all the collapse types except earthquakes, because with earthquakes, we do expect aftershocks. So we have to be very aware and cognizant that secondary collapse may happen while we're inside of it. Um, But with pretty much anything else, we we don't expect secondary collapse unless we get a huge rainstorm or windstorm or something like that.
0: Okay, so interesting. Uh, Obviously, over the past like eight months, I've moved a lot Further away from Newtonian physics than I used to, just because realizing that most of what we do is nonlinear dynamics, which is a little bit different than uh, how we can explain the physics we do in rescue through Newton, which works really well on a, in a book or on a on a whiteboard, but then kind of falls apart once we add weight and different materials and ropes and all this other crap. But that being said, what I kind of heard you say, which kind of goes back to some of uh, the three laws of Newton, is it, the force it takes to get something moving, in this case, a collapse, it's easier to keep it moving until it's acted on by kind of an outside source. So, that outside thing, even if it was to move again, would require more force than, than normal to, to dislodge it. Is that, as, I mean, because that's kind of what it sounded like. So, it moved in most cases, besides an earthquake or whatever, or a fire that's still active, it moved, but was acted on by such a force that it stopped collapsing, which is allowing you to actually go in at that point. I think
1: that's a fair statement. If it was moving and stopped moving, it's going to take a hell of a lot more force to get it moving again.
0: Right. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, So oddly enough, man, I totally learned something from you tonight. Whew. Aww. No, I know. It's it's, kind of cute. Talking about that though uh, with moving pieces, you don't have to go through, and obviously it's in most people's notebooks and people don't memorize this as a whole, but when we talk about looking at a building that's partially collapsed and now all of a sudden let's say we're working on the second floor, but we have partially or non-collapse third floor, fourth floor, whatever. How concerned are we with the weights there? And how do we? There, there's actually estimates out there, and we teach this also in in our very basic collapse for for U.S. SOCOM and stuff. You know, like for concrete, you know, we tell them, you know, if you're looking at lifting something, you're basically looking at, you know, 150, uh, you know, PCF or this or that or whatever. But how do you how much do you gauge the the weight of the floors that are above and and non collapse, and what kind of what kind of guidance do you give on that? Does that make sense? Sure. Okay.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. So I, I can give you a couple rules of thumb. If we're in a heavy concrete building, so cast in place concrete, every hundred square feet, so a ten by ten area, you're looking at about fifteen thousand pounds. And that, that way it would include the rescuers and everything else you've got going on inside there. Mm-hmm. So concrete building, heavy, heavy floor, 100 square feet, 15,000 pounds. If you're in a lighter frame building like a wood frame building, every 100 square feet or 10 by 10 area, you're going to be looking at about 5,000 pounds. Okay. If you wanted to break that down into a square foot basis, you'd say concrete floors are roughly 150 pounds per square foot with mm-hmm. rescuers and furniture and all the other crap. With the wood floors, you're looking at about 50 pounds per square foot. Okay. All right. Now, if you're looking at, if you're, uh, looking at rubble, it, okay, you've got a big pile of debris on, on top of something. You're trying to figure out how much that weighs. Reinforced concrete weighs about 150 pounds per cubic foot. So length times width times height. That's not super easy to calculate in your head if you're thinking in terms of cubic feet. Right. A lot of times it's easier to think of a size that you know. A lot of us know what washing machines are. We use them on a daily basis. So that's a pretty easy size for us to, to think of in our heads, and we can visualize it there in front of us. So if we think of washing machine-sized chunks of rubble, each one of those is going to weigh about 2,000 pounds.
0: Okay. That's pretty cool. Do you have any other cheats on there? And I know I'm putting you on the spot on here, but, you know, if I'm looking at lifting an exterior wall that just collapse, you know, let's say it's a, you know, stuff that we lift a lot of times in training and, and crap like that. We'll throw mannequins under and just smash down a, like a, you know, a 10 by 10, let's say anywhere between an 8 to 12 inch depth, it, you know, and a lot of times once you start dealing with cubic feet, man, people are like, oh, crap, man, especially if you're, you're doing... Foot by foot, then by inches. Is there any cheats out there for it, like the three o'clock in the morning rules and stuff like that for for that, or do you just have to like suck it up and no math?
1: I'm sorry, I, I blanked out on you. This is a really good part of Star Trek, and I was looking at that, and I kind of stopped
0: paying attention. You so are such a f- freaking geek. Like,
1: is this date is this date over?
0: Like, it could. This is. This date is close <laughs> is this to being date over. Ending? Wow, I'm really sorry. I don't even I don't even know what to say on that. <laughs> the fact that one you're watching Star Wars in this or Star Trek.
1: Oh, so God, is there like
0: because d- you watch Star Wars too? Isn't that like isn't that kind of dicked up in your nerd world? Like all your nerd friends would like go. You either are one side or the other.
1: Not I, think, both. I think I think
0: I uh... think. I think I can go both ways. That's not a shocker to many of us, but as, uh, as far as your science fiction love <laughs> affairs, um, that's, that's you, what I was talking about. I usually, I, I've always seen like a hard line on nerds before, man, and it seems like you are, you identify with both.
1: Yeah, I kind of, I kind of self-identify as both a Trekkie and a Star Warsian. I like both, but the Star Wars has to be the old Star Wars.
0: Okay. None mm-hmm. of that. None of that new charger banks crap. All right, I'm going to go back and ask the question that's probably going to help people that listen to this. Um, I'm really sorry. Can can you ask the question again? Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to. And now I'm not going to apologize because if you don't have an answer, then maybe this isn't the line of work that you should have. Um, so that shit just happened. No, what I was going to say is when we're when we're doing a lot of these lifts and things like this, we'll do exterior wall collapses and stuff like that, and obviously. The, a lot of people, you know, Dom and I will work with are are with on the military side they are going to be lacking a lot of organic assets, right? Like shoring equipment and things like this. And it's going to be a lot of hasty type of rescue where a lot more risk is probably assumed because there's other threats out there and, and why that building collapsed and, and what proximity your threats are in and stuff like that. But when we're looking at trying to really quick size up uh, exterior wall, concrete wall that just collapsed down, reinforced concrete. And we got a guy or two underneath there. And you start dealing with cubic feet, man, that's a, that's a pain in the ass. So, you know, if we're looking at a, a 10 by 10, 10 foot by 10 foot, but it's, you know, eight inches deep, you know, is there a cheat out sure. there for a crap like that where you're going, oh, wow, okay, yeah, I can multiply the feet by feet, but now I'm going to inches. Now, how do I convert that crap? And what the hell does this weigh?
1: Yeah, that, that's a good question. Just like you're saying, eight inches is a good assumption for for an exterior wall thickness. So, eight inches. If you divide eight by twelve, you're looking at. We're just talking around numbers here. Point seven. So, if you do point seven mm-hmm. times ten times ten, now you know now you're looking at.
0: Yeah. Consistent numbers consistent,
1: there. Consistent numbers. So point. Let's see here. 0. 0.7. i seven. using my risk calculator right now. Actually. Perfect. I would hope so. So if you run point seven times ten times ten, you're looking at seventy, and that is what you would multiply by fifty. 100. One one fifty, and okay. probably the one fifty is a little bit heavy. Yeah. For an exterior wall, but
0: we're we're just talking. Yeah, that we're just it's just us girls talking right now. Yeah. yeah, this is girl. Does it so? Does that does that make sense? The way yeah, I said absolutely. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, I was a surprised lot of you had a response for that because of. The fact that you're blanking out on Star Trek, I really thought that uh, we were about to go to hell in a handbasket right there, man.
1: Well, a a lot of people really have trouble with unit conversions. So if people do, I would say, look, don't feel bad. Um, I basically took an entire class just on unit conversions. So now I'm hopefully really fast at those and they they come kind of second nature to me. But uh, almost everyone else besides engineers has a lot of trouble with unit conversions. So if, if if you can convert... Inches to feet like that, we just say eight inches. Okay, that's point seven feet. Roll with it. Times
0: the rest of your dimensions. Okay. And how, how in your estimation, how long is it going to take for us to get the rest of the world off that stupid metric thing? You're drinking a lot of beer, man. That's what you. You. I heard you. You were just drinking beer. I could hear you through the. Through I was
1: uh, not. I'm out of beer. In fact, I'm. I'm working on a Lacroix.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's. It's um okay it's
1: no calories no artificial sweeteners okay sparkling water
0: sure no that's that's fresh man that's good
1: i love the metric system how do you not like the metric system i'm just kidding uh, i'm
0: just kidding dork why don't you move to to another country then make it fun of the metric system no maybe you're not american then is what i'm saying jackass i love america and the metric system it doesn't happen can't be can't happen so whatever you liar you just need to learn to go both ways yeah whatever just like i do yeah. <laughs> we'll go ahead and let Dominic input something on here in the future. Um so no, that that's good, man, because I think, you know, mixing between units is is kind of always a pain in the ass, especially when it needs to be done right now is is uh usually sucks. So when we're looking at this real quick just to to kind of move on a a little bit to to move through this before we continue to BS. When we are looking at sending something in, um having an escape route out if something does go wrong is probably not a bad idea. Almost like, you know, having a, a writ team for the guys that are going inside if you're doing something hasty. Where it's a, not a uh I would say a calculated or a team-based thing where you're a USAR team and you have everything in, in, in order and you've got all the roles and responsibilities. If you're doing something a little bit more hasty and we're trying to kind of figure the safest way to do this, but we've got to move quickly. Having a planned escape route out is probably probably not a bad idea. Uh, doing a good 360 to see what you really have, probably things to, to consider. Correct?
1: I, I think that's a great call. Um, if, if you need to go into the building right now, you don't have time for shoring. You don't even have time for steel shoring. You have time for nothing except maybe looking up at what what might come down on you eventually. Um, it's going to be critical to, to start thinking about an escape route while you're on your way in. So, you, you need to plan the escape route out ahead of time. You remember that the safest way out might not be the most direct route. Right. Um, but you do need to think about okay, which way am I going in? So, which way can I get out? Worst case scenario, if you can get, get to a stairwell, that's awesome. Otherwise, the same advice they give us for, for earthquake buildings or we shelter in a place that, that still counts as good advice.
0: Okay, so sheltering in place. So I'm in there, let's say, and it's a hasty rescue, and I start, let's say we feel an aftershock or we, we have some movement that the, that you described before is kind of key indicators that something may be going awry or secondary collapse. At that point, uh, having situational awareness, I should have already been kind of looking around where I'm working or I'm trying to get to tunneling into a patient. I should be looking at where my potential Safe shelter is going to be if something does go wrong, right? So I'm, I'm doing that primary alternate contingency, emergency type of thing. so I'm looking for heavier furniture, heavier desks somewhere where even if there is a collapse and I'm stuck in there and I can't escape out prior to, where is going to give me the best opportunity to not get crushed.
1: You want, you want to keep an eye out for heavy equipment that you might be able to shelter under, mm-hmm. maybe a really heavy desk. You would also want to stay kind of try to stay away from exterior walls.
0: Gotcha, 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 gotcha. So
1: we want to try to get, you know, kind of in the center of the room if possible. And if there is an interior wall that we can get
0: next to, awesome. But usually I'm not going to want to be next to an exterior wall. Okay. Interesting, interesting. So, listen, let's uh, let's start wrapping this up and we'll do part two, which will get a little bit more uh, extensive in which I will probably just record my questions and sleep while you answer, if that makes sense. Um <laughs> Potentially, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but one thing I did want to kid on is, obviously, you know, you, you and I talk quite a bit, and you've helped us, you know, develop some things. Dom and I uh, do a whole bunch of training for people that don't have a lot of the the assets, like manpower and shoring equipment, and and the fact of them even having anything to shore with, let alone thinking about making their own and having lumber there or anything. That is such a non-reality at all so it's it's very much you know hit it and get it type of rescue in a high threat environment what other what other pointers do you think are out there you know those are the things that we hit on for just hasty rescue uh obviously a lot of times when we're even lifting exterior walls we're using uh really good shoring techniques and that shoring is consisting of parts of the building that have also collapsed, so chunks of concrete and any wood that was part of the building material. So we'll be doing most of our cribbing, uh, that's a better statement, cribbing, with parts of the building that's already there, so it's organic assets, if you will. And a lot of our lifting is done with levers, type 1, type 2, or potentially maybe a, a rescue high lift jack. And it's really success. I mean, we've had really good success on really heavy-weighted stuff if we learn the physics of it and stay with the principles of you know, lift an inch, crib an inch, um, 360 around, knowing whatever action you take here has an equal and opposite reaction on the other side, making sure that as you're lifting, you're not crushing another person. You know, what what else w- would you say for that hasty rescue that, that you've got to keep in mind? So there's building construction, there's 360 view, proper cribbing. Uh, what are we missing?
1: I, I think you've laid a great foundation. And if, if I have to keep anything else in mind, First, I would keep in mind that there is so much going on in the building that I probably can't see. Right. And so if I do think I have a great understanding of what's going on, I'm probably fooling myself. and that, That's probably just wishful thinking. So you, you have to come to the realization that being in this building that's suffered such damage, that is a dynamic environment. It is, as you would put it, an a historic environment. It's something that's that's never happened before in that exact way. And so you don't really know what's going on. You have to acknowledge that. So you have to be looking around, and then you also have to reassess as you're inside it. So it's not just about looking up and down when you first walk into the building. It's about reassessing while you're in there. Um, The next thing I would say is not to get too bogged down in trying to split hairs with your calculations. Because just like we're talking about, we realize that we, we really don't have a great understanding of what's going on. So if we can just use the most rough numbers, fine, run with it. Any kind of calculation you can produce, even if you're rounding up to the nearest thousand pounds, you're doing great and just keep doing what you're doing.
0: If I would say, let's say, asking or speaking with an SME on this, what is – because it's got to exist, man, because it does in everything. What is that one mnemonic that you can tell us right now that will make sure that we succeed 100% of the time on every structural collapse we ever go to? Just give so, me a mnemonic that will yeah. always work and never fail. Just like the Hartford, just like the Hartford Consensus did with threat, because that will never um, let anyone down ever. The mnemonic would be kitty cat. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Which is fitting. I got it because you're a cat owner, and and I would like to tell everybody. When I originally heard that he owned a cat, I did think it was a puma or a jaguar. Uh, but we're, when we're talking, we're actually talking – we're talking a, um, like a, what most people call a cat, right?
1: Um, yeah, that would be a, a domestic short hair would be
0: the technical <laughs> term. <laughs> right, 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 not, right. That's not, uh, not funny. No, I wasn't laughing at that. I was laughing at something else I just thought of. Oh, um, but okay. yeah, it definitely was not what you said. Um, so definitely not a tiger. Uh, or a lion or a liger, as you call it. Um, this is definitely one that, that, uh, poops in like, uh, like a litter type of thing that, uh, yeah, I got you. Is that, that's, I, I have mean, that's... five, I have five litter boxes in my house. So you're like that old lady I grew up next to when I lived in Colorado. I have seven cats. Oh my God. And you're, you actually yeah. are married right to, um, to a, to a woman, right? And everything?
1: Uh, yeah, she's, okay. she's a real woman. She's, and you have a squirrel. You have a squirrel great. too. Um, actually, if you followed my Instagram, you would know that my squirrel grunter died uh, about six months ago. But are thank you, you so ser- much for bringing you, that up again. Are
0: you serious? Yeah, I'm 100% serious.
1: Thanks. How did it, he died.
0: How did it die? Are you, you're, uh, not, you're joking. You're not, this isn't like trying to make me feel bad for ripping on you on this. Like You legitimately had your squirrel that you used to talk about. It died. He
1: was an old squirrel and his teeth grew up into his mouth, into the top of his mouth, which prevented him from opening his mouth and he couldn't eat anymore. That's
0: awful. That's You're awful. awful. No, I'm not awful. You're awful. awful for I'm no not paying attention. Awful. God. All right. I apologize. I, I will officially apologize, man. I feel like a jackass now because um, I had a whole bunch of funny shit to say about a squirrel, too, man, and now I can't. I mean, I could, but oh, it would just be in really poor form for me to do that so what we are saying is obviously tongue-in-cheek is everybody wants the easy button like there's got to be an easy way to solve these complex no human brain likes to deal with things that are not in their control so if you can create a mnemonic for me or a simple algorithm that guarantees my safety and security and I can use it for every event everybody's happy and a bunch of us fall victim to that in our response and obviously I gave the example of the the threat algorithm by the for consensus um, for your active shooter response because all active shooters uh, are linear and are the same. So this will work for you all the time when in reality, uh, it's, it's a joke. Basically, the point of it is don't get caught finding this... this mnemonic or algorithm out there that that you should find any confidence in when going to a structural collapse because obviously they're out there because you can't predict what caused it you can't predict the building type you can't predict all these other things let alone even when a structural engineer is there you can't predict all the things that, that could go wrong or right in that building it's better probably just to know how things operate than trying to base your safety and security on some mnemonic that a book made up
1: uh, absolutely, uh, mnemonics are like stereotypes for people. Um, we like them <laughs> because they, they help us avoid thinking. And and the fact is, you you have to be conscious. You have to be aware of the environment around you, and you have to uh, continually reevaluate it.
0: Right. I, I think I think Langer in her book uh, mindfulness, and I think it actually even goes back to Aristotle, even referred to to those type of things that we currently call you know protocols or algorithms or mnemonics uh is mindless guides for the uneducated so yeah that's good stuff
1: well the, the, you know what they say that the thing about protocols is they only work if they're followed every time right. uh so kind of by definition a protocol is not going to be useful for the type of work we do right no
0: that's interesting um anything to end up on uh on this this one i think we'll probably break this into like a two-parter man i think we're yeah, we're busting out about an hour and eight minutes here, so uh, anything parting details before we do part two?
1: Um, I would just like to say that I appreciate everyone listening to me, if they've listened this this far, and uh, I know I sound like a pompous asshole sometimes, but I have the utmost respect for the, for the guys that I work with. I think they're super smart. I'm glad that I get the chance to work with those guys and with you.
0: No, and I, I can't put it out there enough, man. I learned a shit ton from you, man, uh, when we were able to... Link up. You ever have the opportunity to to hit up Andy for for training for your team or hear him speak at, at one of the conferences or anything that he speaks at? Man, definitely highly recommend it. And uh, keep in mind, afterwards you can go up and and have a beer with him and talk about his kitty cats. Just not the squirrel, Dick. I know, totally my bad. <laughs> I feel like a dork. All right, man. Listen, we will we will continue on to part two uh, later. But thanks a lot for your time, brother, and uh, and we will talk soon. Oh, hey, wait, do you you have a, like a, yeah, obviously you have Instagram, but do you have uh, like a website or anything like that that you want to throw out or Facebook or anything?
1: I I do. My website, my webs. my website's really simple. It's just reconresponse.com
0: and I'm on Instagram at reconresponse. Real easy. Awesome, man. Sounds good. And we will uh, talk soon. Thanks for your time, brother. Thank you, Sean. All right, man.